Well, let's dive in. Guess what? This is the last weekend of our psalm series. I'm kind of sad because I've really enjoyed it. I've learned so much. Um, I always try to follow the weekends when I'm not teaching. And man, if you haven't gone back and looked at some of these messages from, from everyone who's speaking, there's some really great learning nuggets. And if you're not able to be here on a weekend, go online. It's so simple and you can catch up. And both last weekend, my goodness, just, just so many cool things that are coming out of, of the teaching. I, I get to talk about Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is pretty well known. There's some kind of famous scriptures in here, passages, one verse kind of things that are used, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain it when I get there. But the heart of today is David is writing a poem. It's not a song, it's a poem. And he's writing it after he has been afraid. Matter of fact, he feared for his life many times. Remember, Saul's chasing him down. He's been anointed as king, but he's hiding in caves and all the stuff. Many of our weekends have been filled with the saga of David running from Saul and almost dying and all that stuff. And this weekend is no different, but he's so afraid that Saul's going to get him that he tries to move into a camp with the Philistines. And this is crazy. So we'll get to all that. But he is, has been through real fear. And when he writes this poem, he addresses his fear and talks about the goodness and the grace of God. So we're going to walk through, we're not going to read all of it, but we're going to read several verses that are kind of the highlights of this psalm. So here's how I want to start. Is fear a good thing or a bad thing? It's both. Both is the right answer, no question. So what are, what are some positives about fear? In your list, you can put whatever you want. I, I wrote three things down. There are more than three. But I know for me, if I have a, a little bit of fear of something, then I prepare better. I've been on a few trips in the mountains when I knew I was going to be walking on crevices and these hikes. They talk about the ledge, especially if it's slippery. And I'll pay attention to that, and I'll dress appropriately. I'll have the right boots. I'll, if I'm going to take certain hikes, if you're going to do certain things in Colorado, being a little afraid that you might fall off the cliff and die changes your prep. Right? That's healthy fear. That's good. Another word I wrote down is caution. So I'm coming up to this place and I go, I, I need to be careful because uh, this could be dangerous. Like this could end bad. And so I'm going to use caution because I'm afraid that things might go bad if I don't pay attention. Realism is another word I put down. I have a very healthy, realistic view. I saw a guy the other day, I was in Old Town, and I was coming through Old Town, and obviously I was stopped waiting on a train. And I was waiting and waiting, and this guy on a bicycle saw that the train was still 100 feet away or so, and it wasn't coming super fast, and he just walked his bicycle through the guard and, and over. And he, he, it wasn't like creepy, scary, dangerous, but it was kind of close. Like if, if he had tripped or something had happened... I, I, I have a feeling the train would have won if it had hit him, right? And here's, here's just the point I want to make about that. 
Let's say he was a believer. He loved God. He was in right standing with God. He's going to go to heaven if, 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 if he died. Would God have protected him from that train? Would God have stopped the train? Probably not. The momentum and the laws of physics mean the train will win and hit him. You can't blame God for not being realistic. And that's part of this that I want to talk about with you today. That so many believers think that they are exempt from pain. They think they're exempt from from the the brokenheartedness that comes with living in a fallen world. But we're not exempt. So we'll see some of that. And David faced a lot of pain. But there's a lot of unhealthy results. More unhealthy than healthy. With especially the kind of fear that we would label as paranoia. Things that you think about that could happen that probably never will happen. We've been through a year and a half of it, haven't we? We've been through a lot of months of paranoia. Uh, Some of it is very real. You know, if you have a family member who died because of COVID, you're more, more likely to pay attention to how serious this can be. We've lost people in our fellowship because COVID took them out. And so, man, my alert levels went way, way up. Regardless of where you are politically, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about so many people gripped by fear, and not just COVID, throw that out, just by life, by by politics, by the world's condition, by the financial instability of our world right now. The stock market's all over the place, and this is good, and we're borrowing money. Trillions, we're printing money, we're printing money. And people are just freaking out about that, including me. And I'm like, whoa, I'm kind of old school. You don't just kind of print money. But, but if you're not careful, these things can just consume you. And, and it, it causes people the imagination, the unrealistic imagination, And then the negativeness, and then they can't sleep at night, and then they're taking pills to go to sleep, and then they're taking pills to make it work at their job, and then all of a sudden they're in this cycle, and fear is controlling them, and they won't leave their house. I've talked to people through this time when they didn't leave their house for nine months. Never went out the door. I don't know if you think that's good or bad, but fear closes in on us and it ends up causing health problems when you have anxiety and worry that's why the bible has a lot of to say about don't worry cast your cares on the lord why because he knows god knows that this kind of fear and paranoia and worry and anxiety it can take your life it'll change your heart rate it'll make it work too hard and on and on and on it goes so let me just dive into the outline number one understanding the context of psalm 34 Let's walk, let's walk through this. The context is a story in 1 Samuel 21. And God, I'm laughing because this is one of the craziest stories in, in the Bible. It's insane. If, you, if you're not familiar with the story, you're going to be surprised at what David does and what happens here. Most people, this is King David of Israel. You don't think of him in this context. But this is what happens. So before he writes the poem, this is the context. So David escaped from Saul. He went to King Achish of Gath. But the officers of the king were unhappy about his being there. Isn't this David, king of the land? They ask, isn't he the one who people dance and honor him by saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. So he's known as a great warrior across the land. 
David heard these comments and was very afraid of what the king of Gath might do to him. So, (laughs) here we go. He pretended to be insane. Scratching on the doors and drooling down on his beard. He was trying to, he was trying to appear like foaming at the mouth. And, you know, it's like, it's like you bang your head against the metal gates of the cities. He's literally trying to look like an insane man. Finally, the king said to his men, must you bring me a madman? I love this next line. We already have enough of those around here. <laughs> you ever feel that way? Like, why are you bringing this guy to me? I have enough crazy people in my life. Get him out of here. So the plan worked. So here's what was happening with David. If you read the context of the story, David was really afraid that King Saul had discovered the cave they were staying in. So he said, I think it's safer for me to go try to live in a village with the Philistines than it is to hang out in a cave. Because Saul's going to find me and he's going to kill me. He's going to take me out. So David solo... None of his men, they stayed in the cave. He went out to this Philistine. And it's been a long time since he killed Goliath. You know, he was a boy. And those are the same Philistines. Believe me, they don't forget that. And David tries to sneak in as just a normal person and join the Philistines in order to protect himself from Saul. And it didn't work. So he pretended to be insane, and it worked. (laughs) How would you like to say that? Well, I'm really good at being insane. That's why it all happened. David went back to the cave. I don't know, there's not a time frame that it was a week or a day or a month, but he started to write a poem. Now, in this poem, the uniqueness about the 34th Psalm is that, how many verses are in it? Anybody notice already? There's 22. How many letters are in the Hebrew alphabet? I know you know this, 22. Everybody say 22. See, now that's your takeaway today. You know how many letters are in the Hebrew alphabet. You can really impress somebody with that. This is an acrostic poem. It's a poem in in our alphabet. We have 26 letters, and it would be like A, B, C. So every verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if you were to write a poem like this, you would put A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down your page, and then you would write the A, Almighty God. I worship you. B, whatever, behold, the beauty of the Lord. C, you know, you go ahead and try that this week. That'd be a good assignment. Write an acrostic poem with our alphabet. That's what David is doing. Everybody with me? So in English, it doesn't come out that way. But in Hebrew, it does. So we don't get the full context of it, but we get the heart of it. Number two in your outline, results of being freed from fear. And this is how the Psalms start. So Psalm 34, at the top of your Bible, in the introduction, it'll say a psalm of David regarding the time that he pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech, which Abimelech's the name of, of many Philistine uh, uh, kings. It's kind of like Pharaoh, or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a general name, but there were some people named that, uh, who sent him away. And so he says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak of his praises. How many of you have heard that verse before? You know, I will praise the Lord. There's songs that are written with that. Um, I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he heard me. He answered me. He freed me from all my fears. These are great words. 
David is starting this poem by saying, I am so grateful that I no longer have the fear that I had that drug me to that gate trying to get in to live with the Philistines. I'm free from that. His praise will be in my mouth forever. It gave him courage. Let the helpless take heart. Guys, that's a really powerful phrase. Let the helpless take heart. Why? Because God loves them and he can free them. There's this testimony. He says, let us tell. In other words, I've experienced this. Now I'm going to go tell it. I am free of all of my fears. What is your life like if you have no fear? I don't mean the slogan, no fear, which sometimes can be foolishness. I mean a healthy life that isn't covered with anxiety and worry about tomorrow of unexpected issues. I think that's worth you pondering. I've been pondering this as I've been preparing for this. How does fear control me sometimes? What grips me that keeps me... Is it a relationship that's gone bad? Oh, I really don't want to see that person again. I really don't want to deal with that right now. The financial pressure that some of you are under right now. Fear can come from all over the place. But if I don't have fear, I'm going to be better at joy. If I don't have fear, I'm going to be better at love. I'm going to be way better at peace. I'm going to be way better at relationships and trust. If I don't have this fear, this paranoia that everyone's out to get me. That's what David is saying. The third thing in your outline is accept the challenge. In verse 5, David is using the fifth letter of the alphabet and he shifts this to presenting a challenge to the people reading the poem. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation... I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all of my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see. Here's that famous verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. When he says there's no shadow of shame, I just want to say, shame is a killer. Some of you who are living under that, I just want to call you out today. I want to just sum up. If you're watching online and shame has you snuffed out, and you're, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible, moldy, old, wet blanket that gets around you and it stinks under there and you can't get out and it, it's moldy and it's yucky and it, it affects everything in your life and it's dark and clammy and cold. And God wants to throw that blanket off of you. He wants you to see that there is a tomorrow in your life. And David is expressing these things. Taste and see. It's an invitation. Taste and see. How many of you have had someone actually say to you, just taste this. Just try it at a, at a meal somewhere. You know, just try this. So <laughs> I, I don't like that, by the way. Don't try to, don't ask me to taste something. Because that means it's horrible. Just the fact that you want me to. T- so I, 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 have a, I have a thing about this that's very real in my life. Bonnie and I. We've been seeking counseling for about 10 years on this one. There's no remedy. Brussels sprouts. How many of you believe there is a recipe out there that can make them taste wonderful? Oh, repent. Come forward now, right here. Come forward. 
So Bonnie, she's always ordering these appetizers with Brussels sprouts. And she says to me the other day, you have to taste this. I'm like, no, I'm not tasting. Terry, it has bacon in it. I'm like, okay, and I grab a piece of bacon. Okay, I like those. You give me the bacon and you eat those round cabbage head, moldy, gross things. Those people buy them. And they cook them and they eat them. They were not designed to eat. I don't know what they were designed for, but they're horrible. And you say, well, we taste them. No, I can smell them clear across the room. Sorry. If you love Brussels sprouts, I'll still be your friend. Just do not send me your recipe. Send it to Bonnie and we'll all be good. Taste and see. Why do we say that? Because we like something so much, we want someone else to experience it. You have to taste this. It's really good. And, and not everyone likes it, but David is saying, you have to just try this. And number four is, a, is kind of feel the compassion. Feel the compassion that God has for you and that David is trying to express in his poem that we can have as individuals. This is the compassion of God. And David finally sees it because he's been running from Saul. He's been hiding in fear. Verse 17, the Lord hears his people when they call on him for help. We could just stop right there and say, praise God, that's enough. That's enough of a takeaway that I don't really need a whole lot more. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Now this happens to be my favorite part of the psalm. Those, those little two verses, 17 and 18. And, and the God rescues peace has just been bold in my life. I see it in bold print. God rescues. God, he, he helps the broke. He's close to the brokenhearted. I don't know why. I'm not brokenhearted right now, but I have been before. And here's what I wish this psalm said, okay? I wish it said, this is the God who will keep you from becoming brokenhearted. But that's not what it says. Many believers, if you don't hear anything else I say, try to, try to digest this because it, it's, it's a changer, it's a game changer. Many believers have a concept in their life that they are going to be void of pain, of brokenheartedness, of disease. When we live in a fallen world, this goes clear back to Genesis. It's the fall of man when sin came upon the earth and hell reigns. There's no nice way to say it. When you go through hardship, you face it like a non-believer. You face all that we face, all the same things anyone else does. Many of you have survived cancer. Many of you have gone through hardship. Many of you have lost kids and grandkids. Many of you have broken hearts over what you have faced. The promise David is giving us isn't that we won't have to face those. It's that God is with us when we are brokenhearted. And that's way better. God is with us. And I want you to remember that when you face the pain and the suffering. I don't have to fear what might happen in my life. 
And I, I, I don't want to be weird about this because I don't want to get cancer and die of cancer. I've never had it. But if I end up on a deathbed because of cancer, I don't feel in my heart I'm going to live afraid. I believe God will be with me. I might get hit by a truck. I might be in a motorcycle wreck. I don't know how I'm going to die. But I'm not living today in the fear of what might happen if this happens to me. Oh my goodness, that would just freak me out. Well, it might create anxiety. It might create worry. But I want to live with a resolve that says, I know my God. I trust my God will be with me no matter what I face for the rest of my life. He's there. He's at the center of it. And man, that helps me. David is trying to tell you that. David is trying to tell me that. That even when you're brokenhearted, even when you're at the end, God is a God who rescues. Number five, receive the promise. Receive the promise. And this is, this is how the psalm is going to end. This is the, the 19th and the 20, 21 and 22, last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The righteous person faces many troubles. There you go. That says it. You're righteous, you still face trouble. But the Lord comes to rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. And that's a, it's an interesting poetic phrase that means even in the detail of your life, your bones. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely destroy the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be punished. But look at the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. The Lord protects. The Lord redeems. The Lord rescues. When do you need to be rescued? Some of you might need to be rescued Today, stress, financial challenges, relationships that are falling apart, kids that are running away from your love. These are, these are all heartbreaking things and happens in real life. Grief. Some of you are just grieving the loss of someone you love. Brokenness. I printed up a, something to look at this week that I want to use now because in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want specific prayer for any of these fears that are trying to get a hold of you. And this is what it is. It's, it's a big enough font that I can read it. Help. I'm here. Some of you, that's your feeling. God will. God will. He will help you. I mean that. This is no joke. God will help you. Lay the fear down today. Let the anxiety rest. Let your heart have a break. And would you just close your eyes for a second? This is personal, it's private, but I, I want you to respond in honesty. Some of you have never raised your hands for something like this before. 
You're like, I'm not raising my hand. Well, that could just be pride too. Don't do that today. This is not the place. Those of you online, just do it right there in your living room, wherever you're at, just do it. And when you hold up your hand, you're holding up this sign to God. Not to me, but to God. If you know the Spirit is wooing you, talking to you, sharing with you, and there's a longing to overcome whatever this is, and you need the help of God, would you please right now raise your hand and raise the sign? Hold it up. I want you to keep it up for a minute. I'm going to pray over you. Anyone else before I pray? Just hold it up. Keep it there. Lord, we stand together with our brothers and sisters. This, you know the detail of this. You know the heartbreak, the wound, the whatever. You are here with us today. And we say, help, restore, mend, heal, and be with us in the storm. Thank you that you said you'll be with us in the brokenness. We, we count on that today. In Jesus' name, you may put your hands down. Secondly, with heads bowed, some of you haven't really maybe started a true relationship with God. Well, I, I believe there is a God. I'm talking about asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life and every decision, every financial commitment and every relationship that you say, I surrender to God today. Some of you need to just do that right now. You'll say, I surrender. Lord, I give it to you. I want to follow you. I really want to take up that cross, deny myself and follow you. If that's you, just say yes under your breath right now. We'll help you as a church. We have a little packet up here we'd love to give you that'll get you started in your journey today. Do it. Step out. Lord, we give all this to you and we thank you that you're a God who cares and we do not have to be controlled by fear. In Jesus' name, amen.